True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Arena Holdings and its affiliates. The following episode may contain sensitive material including descriptions of violence, sexual assault or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counselling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm Nicole Engelbrecht, and you're listening to a mini-sode entitled Here's Your Outrage. The murder of Dora and Rory Sang Matseme. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank our new supporters for the week. A huge thank you goes out to Ituteng, Lindy Lee Lawson, Anne Porthita, Shanine Flandorp, Yolandi Marie, Maria Brunk, Renette Fanikak, and Ephraim Mafisa for your support on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support, everyone. It really does make a huge difference. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or PayPal, I'll leave a link in the show notes. If you like discounts, because who doesn't, head over to King Online for your health and beauty needs, or PrintCrowd for all your printing requirements, and use the code TCSA10 at checkout for 10% discount, and support the show at the same time. I'll be announcing a new discount code next week, so keep your ears open for that one. Other forms of support that make a huge difference include following the show on social media, inviting your friends, family, postman, hairdresser and parole officer to listen, and leaving reviews on the podcast platform you use to listen. True Crime South Africa is, of course, my main podcast baby, but I've also hosted the Devil's Dorp Companion podcast, and in 2022 you could possibly see some more podcasts popping into your feed from me. You can follow my Facebook page to get updates on those new projects. In minisodes, I often chat about cases that are in the media or specific topics that are related to true crime. Today, I want to discuss a specific case, and the reason I'm doing it in a minisode is because the trial is ongoing, and it's happening right now. Ordinarily, I would not cover cases while they're at trial, because there's always the possibility that too much coverage in the wrong ways could damage a case. In this case, though, the family actually reached out to ask that it be covered, and one very specific thing they said made me feel like it needed to be spoken about now. There has been very little media coverage of the murders of Dora and Rory Sang Matsame, which really makes them exactly the type of victims that TCSA was made for. On the 6th of March, Tumi Kola sent a post to the TCSA Facebook group. It read, in part, as follows, quote, Hi, True Crimers. If anyone is based in Pretoria, could I please ask for support during this coming week? My friend's mom and brother were murdered. He was in grade 11, and she was a teacher. We're attending, hopefully, the final week of court, and having people there would really be helpful. Just last week, one of the accused lawyers attempted to apply for bail, stating that an empty courtroom was a sign that the community was not outraged, and possibly 
willing to accept the accused back into society. End quote. And it was that last line that led to my seemingly odd, but very pointed title for this minisode. I fully understand that defence lawyers have a job to do, but to attempt to draw a parallel between the level of outrage a community feels at a crime and the fact that the courtroom is not packed with people is simply ridiculous. In fact, to even try to use the level of attendance at a trial as any point of impact in whether any alleged offender should be released back into the community, even temporarily, is, in my opinion, extremely dangerous. So, Mr. Defence Attorney, here is your outrage. After seeing the Facebook post, I asked Toomey to pop me an email, and she and her friend, Hotatsu, did so and provided me with information about the crime. I'm going to be selective about what I include in this episode, mainly sticking to the information provided that is already in the public domain. And I also want to point out that the defendants mentioned in this episode are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Hotatsu Matsema, her mother Dora, and her younger brother Rorisang had lived in an area in Pretoria called the Orchids for 10 years. Dora was a single mother to her son and daughter. Tumi met the Matsema family in 2004, and she'd soon become fast friends with Hotatsu. The girls' mothers had also become close friends. In their emails to me, both Hotatsu and Tumi beautifully describe certain aspects of their experiences, and I really feel like you hearing their own words would be more powerful than me rewording them. So, in places, I will directly quote the lady's own words. About Dora and her mother's relationship, Tumi says, quote, Dora was a gentle ball of strength. She would often come to see my mother, and they would talk for hours, and I would only understand later on how valuable it was for them to have that sisterhood that carried them through their dark times. She had a beautifully raspy voice that I so envied. When I would lose my voice from cheerleading at school, I would make it a point to speak to her in my own raspy voice, so that she would laugh in a contagious, heartwarming way that only she could. She was strong, she was persistent, and persevering through all the challenges she faced. She would speak light and sense into a situation. She would listen and react in such an animated way. I always felt like the most interesting person in the world when she listened to me and exclaimed, Hawena! with her eyes wide open. She was the type of mother, even to me, that every child should have the privilege of experiencing. She lived, fought, worked, persisted, and planned for her children. My mother tells me a story of how when she was going through a career crisis, Dora had shared with her that she'd always wanted to be a teacher, that she grew up so certain that she wanted to be called ma'am, that she'd never wavered or dreamed of anything else. This was the same conviction she applied 
when she planned for her children's dreams while building them a new home after her divorce. She was truly a beautiful expression of God's love to her children. End quote. Dora Matsema was 51 years old and working as an educator when her life was taken. Rory Sang was in grade 11 when his life was taken away from him. Tumi describes him as follows, quote, Rory Sang had always been a rambunctious little boy, with a distinct, raspy voice which very much resembled his mother's. He was younger than us, and though he wouldn't understand the games we played, us being the big girls we thought we were, he would always take over making new rules to ensure that he would take all the money in Monopoly, or inventing new superpowers that would prevent him from being swallowed by the snakes when we played snakes and ladders. When we were still small, he couldn't pronounce the word remote, and instead called it a morote. We tried to correct him for so long that it stuck even on us. My mother still calls it a morote, now and then. He never abandoned his can-do, strong-willed spirit, though he was a handful, as most teenage boys are, who butted heads with his mom and sister now and then. He was handsome, strong-willed, and determined, a young man who was always trying something new to be the next big thing. Every time I would call or check on Hotatsu, she would tell me about his latest craze he'd discovered that would make him the very next young millionaire. I was an only child at the time, and this was my first experience of what it meant to have siblings, to love and scold someone in the same breath. Though he was the young one, I think his outlook, strength and stubborn nature definitely made him believe he, he was the oldest and wisest. End quote. On the 23rd of July 2019, Khotatsu was 23 and in her final year of tertiary studies. She relays that being a busy student and spending a lot of time on campus, she would only see her mom and brother occasionally, and on that day, she'd last seen them two weeks before, but she'd been in daily contact by message and phone. Then, on the 24th of July, she says her messages stopped being returned. At first, she says she didn't think much of it, but as the next few days went by and the scripture messages she regularly exchanged with her mother were no longer being read, she became concerned. When Rodi Sung was also not responding to her messages, she knew something was wrong. As most teenagers are, her brother was always glued to his phone and would usually respond immediately. On Friday the 26th of July, after classes, Hotatsu asked a friend who had a car to take her out to her mother's house. As they drove, she reached out to some of her mother's neighbours, asking if they'd seen Dora or Rory Sang. No one had, but one neighbour went to a close friend of Rory Sang's, who told them that the boy had not been at school for a few days, and he'd even missed an exam. By the time Khotatsu arrived at the house, a group of concerned neighbours had gathered outside. She immediately noticed that her mother's car was not there, 
and thought that perhaps she and Roddy Sung had been involved in a car accident and were in hospital somewhere. The house was locked, but Hotatsu had brought her keys with her, and she opened the front door. Upon entering, she immediately noticed that things were out of place, and some were completely missing. The television was gone, as was the home entertainment centre. A sense of dread started to grow within her, and when she found that some of the internal doors in the house were locked, and she didn't have keys for those doors, she walked back outside, now fearful of what she might find if she went any further. Then, Hotatsu's cousin arrived at the scene, and he convinced her to go back inside and try to find the house's spare keys to open the locked doors. The pair eventually came to the last locked door, which was the bathroom. Hotatsu's cousin entered first, and she says he's quite tall, so thankfully his height blocked her view of the scene that he came across as the bathroom door swung open. As her cousin screamed, Hotatsu says she knew that her brother and mother were dead. A flurry of activity followed, during which police, paramedics and forensics teams descended upon the scene, and Hotatsu's life was changed forever. Four suspects were arrested for the murders of Rory Sang and Dora. One of the suspects is the close friend of Rory Sang's who told the neighbour he'd missed school. The following is the state's version of what occurred on or around the 26th of July. This day, of course, is the day that Dora and Rory Sang's bodies were discovered, but it's very likely that the crime occurred closer to the date on which Hotatsu last had contact with her mother, which was the 24th. In its indictment, which has since been entered into evidence in court and is now public record, the state alleges that Rory Sung was at home when three of the suspects arrived. At some point, the suspects are believed to have overpowered the boy, bound him and blindfolded him. They then waited for his mother to return home from work. When Dora arrived, she was also overpowered, bound and blindfolded. It is then alleged that the three suspects present ransacked the house and stole various items. After this, plastic bags were placed over the victims' heads. The cause of death for Dora is noted as asphyxia, and the cause of death for Rory Sung is noted as blunt force trauma to the head. The victims were found half-submerged in a bath of water. The fourth suspect, who is also the person referred to before as Rory Sung's close friend, is alleged in the indictment to be the mastermind behind the crime. When I originally became aware of this case, the trial was ongoing. It was then briefly delayed, again for unknown reasons, and this week it was restarted, and it is hoped to conclude soon. Of course we know that the pandemic has delayed many cases in courtrooms all around the world, so we can only hope that almost four years after Hotatsu lost her mother and brother, soon an outcome will be forthcoming. Tumi describes the impact of these murders on her friend, saying, quote, 
Hotatsu was and always has been reserved, funny, beautiful, and a strong-willed young lady. She was in her final year of studies when the murders happened, and how she was even able to wake up in the morning to continue, I will never know, but I am so sure that her mother would be so proud that she became what she said she would become. Losing her family in such a traumatic way has caused scars that we can't see on the outside, but when you get closer to her, you can't help but want to take away. She often doesn't remember the cute, funny or scary stories I remind her of from our childhood. I believe this is a symptom of trauma and grief, but she's pushed through the pain, the anxiety, the trauma and the loss. I am so, so, so proud of her. I cannot even express how much, though I often try to in our conversations. She is a brilliant mind, full of empathy and wisdom. She listens as hard as her mom, but gentler. She is as fiercely stubborn as her brother, but quieter. I see so much of them in her, and so much of who she is becoming is so beautiful to get to see firsthand. End quote. I cannot even imagine what Khotatsu has been through in the last four years. Losing her mother and brother in such a vile, horrible way, Then, just five months later, a pandemic hitting the world that would have such a huge emotional impact on everyone. Having to deal with all of that, without her mom and brother to chat to, the delays that would cause injustice being delivered, and then to be told that there was insufficient outrage around the decimation of her family. The fact that she even has the strength to campaign for her mother and brother is amazing, and I have no doubt that having a friend like Tumi, who knows just how much she lost that day, helps immensely. Dora Matsema honestly sounds like an amazing woman. The way she's described by those who love her has me picturing someone that likely made a huge impact on many people's lives. I can just imagine what a great asset she must have been to the children she taught. Rory Sang would have spent his final year of school navigating the pandemic, but as smart and resilient as he was, I'm certain he would have come out of it on the other side with flying colours. But he didn't get that chance. That experience, and every single one after that, was stolen from him and from his mother, and his sister, and every single person who loved them. I can only hope that justice will be served in this case. I will stay in touch with both Tumi and Khotatsu, and I thank them for opening their hearts and their memories to me to share with you. I'll keep you updated on this, but if you can, I would love for you to share this episode and let that defense attorney know that yes, we are unbelievably outraged. More than words can ever describe. Dora and Rory Sang Matseme, rest gently.
thank you for listening to this mini-sode. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to subscribe to the show on the platform you're using to listen right now. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'll be back next Friday with another episode. Until then, as always, thank you for your support, and I'll chat to you soon. Bye.